Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we have a community birth story. I love the community birth stories. First of all, I think it's fantastic to hear about a different variety of births, maybe something different than you had imagined or you had, but it's also so wonderful to reconnect with our students, our community at PYC. So for today's conversation, we have Hannah Weaver. Now, what I love about Hannah's story, first of all, I absolutely adore Hannah, and we got to know each other throughout her time at PYC. But what she really shows is that birth can unfold differently than you had imagined, but you could still walk away feeling really supported and really seen throughout that process. And we talk about the importance of surrender, surrendering to maybe what you had envisioned and surrendering to parts of parenthood and to birth. And it's a really fantastic conversation. Again, I think it's just so important to recognize there's not just one way to birth, but to be inspired uh, by all the different stories we hear from our community. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Hannah. So Hannah Weaver is an English professor at Columbia University and former prenatal yoga student at PYC. She's also the co-host of the Irreverent Book Podcast, That Book, which I have to tell you, I listen to and I love. Um, And this has been her first pregnancy and her first child. So it was a really fun time to reconnect. Now, before we get to that conversation, I just want to remind you that we have online classes, we have in-person classes, we have on-demand classes. So if you want pre or postnatal yoga, we've got you covered on demand, in person, on demand, do it on your schedule, in person, do it with me and our wonderful teachers at PYC. And then online again with me and our wonderful teachers at PYC. So check all that out. We also have amazing workshops, childbirth ed and lactation and newborn and comforting touch. And most of those are also on demand as well as in person. And then don't forget, head to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and grab our free downloadable because maybe you can't make it to a whole class or maybe yoga is not your thing, but you still have some aches and pains that you deal with because you're pregnant or postpartum. And so grab your free guide, five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. Again, substitute that with postnatal if you need and print it out or download it or whatever you need to do. And anytime you're feeling one of those aches and pains, there's one or two poses that you can do just to help on the spot alleviate some of that discomfort. So go grab that. And then the last thing I want to mention is our teacher training. So we do it four times a year. We do the prenatal four times a year and we do the postnatal once a year. We're doing it this summer. And the prenatal I've organized that we're going to do it in person in September and October New York City and March and April in New York City. And then for those that can't make it to New York City for whatever reason, we have it online November and December and January and February. So four times a year. If you want to really get deep and juicy into this information and learn how to bring this methodology to your community, check out our 
85-hour prenatal yoga teacher training on our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. And then the last thing, I know I said the la- that was the last thing, but just one more small thing. I want to make sure that I'm delivering the topics that you want to hear. So if you have a topic that I haven't covered or you want me to go deeper into or even a whole different direction, let me know. Email me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com and let me know what you want to hear or maybe you have a guest that you want me to interview. Send it my way. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break and when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Hannah. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, Deb. It's so fun to talk to you and to see you. I feel I like know. it's been forever, although maybe it has been. It maybe has it hasn't been. been. <laughs> I've missed having you in class. I always love chatting with you. Although yeah, I listen to your podcast, so I kind of feel like I'm still like I listen to your older, um, yeah. your older ones. I'm yeah. like, oh, she's still there. Um, well, but that's kind of you. It's it's funny. There are people out there who feel like they know me, apparently, you know, from the podcast. And yeah, you must have this too. A bunch of strangers who feel like they know you. Well, yeah, especially because I've been, you know, as you know, we all are when we do podcasts, I talk about my life and my kids and I've had right. people be like, how are your kids? And I'm like, why do you ask? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, totally. So I want to be fully transparent to the community listening. Hannah is fitting this podcast into baby time. So she's home by herself. Yeah. Her baby is awake and yeah. we're going to see how it goes. We're going to do our best <laughs> as we all yeah. try in parenthood. Sorry. She's all right. with her best friend, George, her favorite toy. So it should be okay. All right. So let's use our window. All right. So yeah. I, let's start by, I want to hear, I've luckily gotten to know you a bit, but I would love for if you can just tell me a little bit about yourself so our community gets to know you. Sure. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Gosh, what can I say? It's hard, it's hard to even know where to start. I recently moved to New York in 2019, just in time for the pandemic. And I moved here because I have a job as a professor in the English department at Columbia. Um, so I came here after graduate school. And then, um, my husband and I, this is our first child and she arrived in January. So we're just going through the transition of coming out of the pandemic, sort of maybe. I hope, and also starting our family and also at a very sort of at the early stage of my career. So trying to balance all of those things at once. That is a lot to balance. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are in this boat of trying to navigate these transitions right now. So I thought I'd just, uh, identify myself as someone that's also on your boat. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. So tell me a little bit about your pregnancy and how you prepared for birth. So my pregnancy was very normal until the very last week. All of the tests, you know, gestational diabetes, um, groupie strep, all of that was negative. I had, I would say a really average amount of aches and pains. And the one thing that I did to prepare for birth most consistently, Deb, was come to the prenatal yoga center, which I totally loved. It honestly made my pregnancy a much, much better experience because of both because of the movement, but also I think equally important was the community. So I just want to say to all your listeners, even if you're not in New York, just seeking out a community of pregnant 
women was hugely important for my mental health during that time. That's right. Cause at the end, when things were really crazy with the variant, you stayed home and did the classes. I forgot you were on both sides. You did in person and online. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I enjoyed in person. And then when Omicron came, I I was uh, remote, but it still felt like a community, which I really appreciated. I also took childbirth education classes and we did hire a doula who was really, really helpful in terms of thinking through all the different options that we might confront, um, with birth. And, um, so I felt really like I knew a lot about childbirth as someone who had never done it before. Right. So there's only so much you can ever know until you go through it. But I felt like I had really quote unquote done my homework, maybe not surprising since I'm a professor, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but again, the pregnancy was totally normal at the growth scan. Um, I was told she was 50th percentile at the 20 week growth scan. Um, you know, there was just nothing of concern. Um, I'm a carrier for a certain rare disease that is in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, but my husband's a goy, so that was not a concern. (laughs) It just, you know, it just, none of it was, um, it was just really uneventful, um, until it wasn't. Yeah. Well, let's get into the, until it wasn't. So (laughs) let's talk about when your care provider told you she was expect, she was suspected that you had a big baby. So when I kind of have that conversation. Yeah. So I, um, I learned that when I was at the special maternal scan center, so it was not my normal OB that delivered this news. Um, it was at this very high tech place that Mount Sinai has here in New York. So I actually had the scan done at this special maternal scan center. So it wasn't my normal OB who delivered this news to me, um, but it was really odd because, like I said, at the 20-week growth scan, she had measured 50th percentile. I did not have gestational diabetes. Uh, Deb, you know me in person, but I'm like 5'2 and not – I'm just not tall. My husband is like 5'9. He's not tall. Like, we're small people. Um, we had no idea why this was – like we had no reason to think this would be the case. Um, and so with that in mind um, – and you read the research, like on evidence-based birth, which was a wonderful website resource for me. You read the research, and a lot of times these big baby scans are wrong, right? Something like one in three women is told they might have a big baby, but only one in ten women, or excuse me, birthing people actually do have a big baby. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's totally. Uh, it's often erroneous, right? Mm-hmm. And so given that we were small, given that I didn't have GD and my OB did retest me for GD in the final week of my pregnancy, just to make sure I didn't have late onset right. GD given this scan. And I didn't. Um, so it was just totally uh, a shock to us. And we honestly, to tell you the truth, found it very funny. <laughs> I just couldn't believe, like, I just didn't believe it. And I was like, this is a funny troll from the scan people. There's no way that we have a, a, a baby that's 10 pounds. There's no way. Um, so I guess I approached it with a sort of lighthearted spirit, but I still did, you know, get retested for GD. I took it seriously. Um, but 
I, uh, I mostly found it humorous. My parents, on the other hand, who are both physicians, so it's not as random as it sounds, were both like, horrified and couldn't believe that I wasn't just rushed across the street to immediately have a C-section. They just couldn't handle the fact that I had this scan that showed a possible big baby and that the baby wasn't already out of me. They were both freaking out. So we had some freaking out uh, from the grandparents, and then my partner and I thought it was funny. <laughs> so how, just curious, because I feel like many people can relate to the the family or the in-laws or something freaking out. Like when we told my family, my husband had told our families we we're having a home birth. That was like, yeah. oh my God, why? Like, so there's usually <laughs> some sort of freak out somewhere. Yeah. How did you handle it? I mean, it was your parents. How did you handle saying, I respect your opinion, but I also respect my doctors. Like where did, how did that balance go? Yeah, I think it was helpful that, um, my doctor is in, I I think it was helpful that my doctor had a lot of experience. She's, you know, well into her career. She's at Mount Sinai, this major research hospital, major hospital. And I could kind of say to them, you know, listen, if my doctor doesn't consider this to be an issue, like she's the gynecologist, neither of them are gynecologists, right? I'm like, she's the OBGYN. You all are not. <laughs> and to, to their credit, my, my parents did also sort of ask around in their communities. And my dad told an anecdote too, of there is some treatment that he would recommend that people always thought sounded a little bit, um, bonkers, but he had, you know, had his reasons, his evidence-based research-based reasons for it. And he was like, for all we know, your doctor has something similar about why she would not encourage a C-section at this time. And instead, prefers the course of action um, that we had already planned, which I should say that with my doctor, I had already planned to be induced at 41 weeks if uh, the pregnancy was still happening at 41 weeks. So that was, um, let me try picking her up. So I had already planned to be induced at 41 weeks. And um, that was just the plan that we maintained once, uh, once it became possible that I might have a big baby. All right. So yeah, I remember having this conversation about induction because I remember you went past your due date. And I also remember, I love hearing this conversation because I felt like I lived some of it with you. Because I remember, I, I think it was there. like <laughs> right before class, you're like, oh, I just got the call. I don't have gestational diabetes. I know. Yeah, I know. In the last, in the last uh, week where I was overdue, I apparently had this maybe giant baby. <laughs> And I was waiting for these test results. And you also, you reiterated, and I remember finding it very reassuring that these um, statistics, the scans are often wrong. They really are. Something like the, the plus Up or minus 15%. 15%. Yeah. I know. And so, yeah. Um, and my parents were very focused on the plus 15% <laughs> probability. And to be fair, they were right. So, yeah. But so I, yeah. yeah, it was a big baby. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear about your birth story. Let's talk about how it unfolded. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 
Okay. So let's hear it. How did it go? Yeah. So I, like I said, I was scheduled for an induction, um, which was something I had agreed upon with my provider. I felt comfortable that at 41 weeks, um, I felt comfortable with an induction on that timeline. I know that not everyone would make that choice, but it was, I wasn't pressured into it by my provider. It was something we, she proposed and I agreed to, but it was definitely not pressured. Um, and so we were originally given an appointment time of one in the morning, which I thought was totally comical. Um, but luckily we also got the advice to call a couple hours in advance and double check that one in the morning was good at the hospital. And we did, we called, um, at 11 and they said, actually we're having an, you know, an unusual surge of birthing people right now. So please, you know, don't come until please tomorrow, sleep. Yeah, please <laughs> sleep. which was actually a gift, right? To have a, a night of sleep at home, even if you're anticipating, et cetera, it's still, you sleep more at home than you do in a waiting room. So, yes. so at 8am the next day we arrived at the hospital. It took a while for us to get a room in labor and delivery because they were still having a lot of births taking place. Um, and it, so by 1130, uh, they started the induction. We started with a Foley bulb and Pitocin and my doula joined us about an hour later because she had to travel from where she was. So we let her know when we finally got a room and then she came. Um, so it was my husband, my doula and myself were my birth team. Um, and the thing that was wild about, uh, the birth, I would say it was kind of like the pregnancy was a macrocosm and the birth was a microcosm. Everything was totally normal and, and, uh, you know, textbook until it suddenly wasn't. And that's, that's what happened with my pregnancy. And that's what happened with my birth. Um, so the, the, my body responded exactly how it was supposed to, to all of the induction measures. It was, it, you know, the, it progressed exactly like as, you know, the textbooks say that it should or whatever on the same timeline, which I know a lot of that is highly variable. So this, it just so happens that mine went that way. So by 8 PM, I was dilated to about six. I was a hundred percent effaced and I got an epidural, which was really the anesthesiologist was a character. He was, he came in like he was, it was like New York gave me an epidural. It wasn't like <laughs> a person. It was, he was just so funny. The epitome of New York city. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was, yeah, he was, he was so funny. He was giving us like dialect quizzes and all this. He was a real card. Um, so, but anyway, I got, I did have an epidural. Um, and by, you know, since I had the epidural trying to rest kind of on and off by two thirty, my doctor came and checked me. Um, left, I, it was the case that since my uh, birth was scheduled, we scheduled it for a day that my doctor was the doctor, um, in the hospital. So that was intentional. Um, so she came and checked me and I was basically fully dilated, but she, marked me down as a nine just to give my body more time to labor down, um, because the hospital has some pretty strict policies that I'll return to in a moment. Um, so a couple hours later, I started pushing, um, was baby still high up when she said you were a 10 baby was, had started to descend, um, enough, but not so much. And that's why she gave me time to labor down a Mm -hmm. little bit more. Um, the baby was at, is it plus two or minus two? You'll know better than I I think plus what 
Mm, I don't know. Um, she was at two, either plus two or minus two. I forget. Um, but wherever she was when I started pushing at four thirty, um, she stayed there. So let me just back up a little bit and just say that in early labor before the epidural, one thing that I loved was that I felt like I knew all these different positions to help my body, um, open up and make space. And a lot of that came from your classes, Deb. So it was just really wonderful to feel like I knew what to do and kind of trying asymmetrical lunges and this and that. And, um, my doula was also there to help remind me and suggest things to try. And so I stayed on my feet intermittently until I had the epidural. And then even once I had the epidural, even though I was pushing with the epidural, I tried a lot of different positions. I, um, was on, I pushed well on my side. I pushed on my back in that sort of classic, you know, legs up back position as well. Um, and then I probably felt the most powerful when I was squatting in the bed and, and pushing, there was not a squat bar attached to my bed, but my doctor actually was like mad about it. Like she was also, I want to say very supportive of me trying these different positions and even suggested changing it up. So I definitely did not have a doctor who was like, you lay there and you give birth to this baby. Um, so that was a nice, um, that was one way that I felt supported. Um, so the doctor and nurse, um, both said that I was pushing really well, you know, they can tell, I guess. Yeah. From when the head's it, moving down, I'm yeah. just, I was thinking about you're saying the plus or minus is cause we don't know where, when you started, like, if it's floating above zero, yeah. you'd be minus. If it's floating low, it'd be plus two. So I'm curious. I'm guessing it's plus. I like if she told you to labor down. Yeah, I think it was plus two. Yeah, that makes more I sense. That ma- that sounds right. Because then me. it sounds like you did all these wonderful things to make more, as you said, make more yeah. space for baby. I love right. that. Right. And so um, the thing is, is that even though I was pushing well, even though I was using a variety of positions... After about like three and a half hours, the baby oh, was goodness. still exactly there at plus two. And I just want to say that at three and a half hours would have terrified me before I gave birth. Let me just say that it was like a fugue state. I, it didn't feel long to me. It felt like, um, I guess my contractions were regular, but they were relatively spaced out. Mm-hmm. So the number of times that I was actually like in the, you know, pushing, pushing was not that high necessarily. So that I had a lot of breaks. So that's one thing, but also you're just so in the moment, or I yeah. felt like I was so in the moment that it really felt like a half an hour or something mentally speaking in terms of like the toughness that was required. And I did have an epidural, but I could feel like what I could feel myself contracting. I wasn't, I didn't, I hadn't like mashed the button of the epidural into oblivion. Right. I could still, I kind of still knew what was happening, um, to a certain extent. So again, after three and a half hours, my doctor brought up the possibility that this might be a situation where a C-section was called for because the baby had not budged, had not budged at all. And at 4.30, so it had been, or I'm sorry, at 8.30, when it had been fully four hours, um, the hospital kind of has a policy that you you can't really push for more than four hours. Um, they, at that point, it's kind of C-section city. Like if the baby were obviously crowning or whatever, needless to say, but if it, you have this arrested descent situation, which is what I had, that was part 
of part of the decision. I think that was the biggest part of the decision. There was, I should also mention that when they broke my waters, which happened, you know, maybe around two 30, um, there was a tiny bit of meconium. Mm -hmm. So that also factored in, they were like, there might be the possibility of aspirating meconium. There's also, you know, she's not moving at all and you've been pushing for four hours. So all that added up to C-section city. I do just want to highlight how amazing your care provider, your doula, and you were to be like, okay, we are going to try so many different positions yeah. using that information. Like, okay, let's open up more this side. Let's do this. Let's get like, because mm-hmm. I've seen so many care providers and this is unfortunate that they may, the person may be pushing for four hours, but basically in the same place, like right. you really utilized your body as best as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of why I think that we'll come back to this, but that's part of why I think I feel happy with the whole experience because I really feel like I did everything. Like I yeah. did everything that I could have done. And, um, and you know, it came, I, I, I feel like very few birthing people wish for a C-section. Um, I didn't wish for one, but at the, at the end of the day, I'm happy with how my birth went because I know that I did everything yeah. that I could have done. And sometimes um, baby knows how it needs to be born and clearly right. your baby's like, thank you for the effort. I, I have a <laughs> different try. exit. Good, good try. A for effort, yeah. but I have a different idea of right. how I need to enter the world, but right. I give you an A for effort. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are other details along the way too. Like I wasn't on as much Pitocin, so I wasn't contracting as much because the baby had done some D cells on the Pitocin. Like, you know, all this, there are all these little details that are probably too in the weeds. But, um, I will say that even though I heard what everyone was saying, I had a hard time accepting the C-section when they first proposed it, um, because everything had gone so perfectly in my induction. It was like perfect, 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 perfect. That's how I felt, right? Like who knows that that was kind of the picture that was given to me by the doula and by the, um, by my care provider. Um, and then suddenly they're like, no, no C-section. And I felt, um, I, I don't think I was ambushed by it, but you know, when you're, when you haven't slept for 36 hours or whatever, I felt like, oh my God, like, how can I, how can I possibly make this decision right now? Um, especially cause everything's been going so well, like, how can I have a C-section? And the things that scared me the most about the C-section were personally not the surgery. I, you know, trusted my care team and I know they do a for them at average Tuesday or whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, surgically speaking, like they totally know what they're doing. And I felt total confidence in that. I was nervous because two of the things I was most scared about of being a new mom were I was really scared about breastfeeding and I was really scared about postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I know that the rate of postpartum depression is higher in C-section moms. And I know that the rate of breastfeeding failure is higher in C-section moms. Failure is a terrible word of of making a different choice than breastfeeding, I should say, because I I absolutely know that formula is a great choice for a lot of families and totally support it. But I was already very nervous about breastfeeding, and this just compounded that. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I expressed these things to my doula, and she was so reassuring and just such a calming presence and kind of said, listen, like you're in a position right now where this honestly, this isn't really totally a choice. Like it's the C-section is happening, right? So I will be there to support you with the breastfeeding and we know what to look out for with postpartum depression and there are great treatments for it. 
And even, you know, even if breastfeeding doesn't work, you're still going to have a healthy and happy baby. Like you just need to, this is, this is what's medically necessary at this time. So she really calmed me down. And that was uh, a huge, a huge help, Mm -hmm. um, in that moment. And then once the decision was made, I felt like I was in the OR two seconds later. That's absolutely not true. They first gave me like a disgusting medication that made me vomit like crazy, but it felt, it felt very fast, um, from then on. So it was about, and probably 45 minutes from the time when I was like, okay, yes, I consent to a C-section to when she was born. Um, so that was, that was nuts. Um, and the thing, I guess the C-section I think was the hospital was very supportive of what's called a gentle C-section. There was the window where I could theoretically see the baby. They brought her over for skin to skin right after she was born. But I just, I will just say that I had an adverse reaction to some of the routine medications, which meant that I was super out of it. So they told me to look, Oh, the baby's being born. Like, look, I try, I looked, but my eyes like aren't focusing. Do you know what I mean? And they bring her over for skin to skin, but I'm like, so out of it and nauseated that I didn't feel like I could even really feel safe, like keeping her there. Um, but you know what that means actually is that it was a really special bonding time for her and my husband, right? My husband is the one who, um, had those first moments with her and that's really, you know, special for him. And then when I was in the recovery room, I did skin to skin. So it was just a little bit later and, um, it's, you know, it's not, it, I wish, you know, I wish that I had felt more with it in that moment, but you can't predict that you'll have an adverse reaction to a drug you've never had before. Like there's nothing that anyone could have done differently. Um, and so the one memory I have from during the surgery is they, they opened, they opened me up, they go to get the baby and they're like, Oh my God, it's a toddler. So (laughs) um, the baby was huge. And it was actually, they came, when they came to talk to me in the recovery room, the surgical team expressed that she could not fit through my pelvis. Like it, it wasn't a question of positioning. It wasn't a question of dilating. It wasn't a question of the pelvic floor. Like it was just her bony head was bigger than the bony hole. And my, there was just, it was not possible. So How big was she? Um, she was 10 pounds, three ounces. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, I know there are babies come even bigger, but it was totally shocking to us. Again, we're small people. And as I was in the hospital recovering for a few days, I would take my like sad little walks down the hall or whatever. And I would hear them at the nurse's station being like, that's the, that's the woman with the big baby. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone that came into the room was like, this baby's enormous. (laughs) So again, it, it went again, back to being comical for us, I guess. Um, after the birth, just like it was funny to us as an idea. So I guess we're consistent in finding it funny. <laughs> but that's so nice that you you really were respected through your wishes. And yeah. even though the testing was, was spot on, I mean, there is often, you know, there is a, a room for error and sometimes there's not. And and you can tell me if this is, if I'm interpreting this right, the fact that you got your chance to try it how you wanted instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to do a C-section. Like, yes. is that what makes it yeah, digestible and like, your story? I think so. I think everyone just really, um, I felt like I did everything I could. Um, 
And I think in some cases, everything you can is gracefully accepting a C-section when that's the right choice for, you know, like I, in some, in some medical situations, like placenta previa or, um, breech baby, like a C-section is just, it, it's what's, you know, that is what you can do. And yeah. it's not responsible to, to labor at all. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know there are other circumstances too, but for me, since I was in a situation where there is this huge margin of error, um, it was absolutely responsible of everyone to let me give it a go. I did my absolute best. And then ultimately it was medically necessary for her to come out a different way. And I feel so lucky that I was at a great, uh, that I had a great care provider that I had a great team and that I was in a place of modern medicine to be able to have us both come out healthy and happy on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, yeah, I think I just am really lucky. I also will say that the cherry on top, I guess, is that I never felt pressure from my provider to, um, towards the C-section until that moment when it kind of was like, okay, enough boxes have been checked that kind of hospital policy says it's time for a C-section. And in the following days, you know, various people in the practice do the rounds in the hospital. So I met other OBs from the practice and all of them were like, whoa, if, if your care provider did a C-section, she never does. C she only does them if it's like extremely necessary. And I actually didn't know that when I chose my care provider, I just already had her as my regular uh, gynecologist and really liked her. So I decided to stick with her when I got pregnant. Um, but that was also something that if you're, if you're someone who would prefer to deliver vaginally, um, but also know that sometimes the C-section like comes up, like that was kind of the perfect situation. She never was going to pressure me, but at the same time, um, when it became medically necessary, she's, uh, I was already in the hospital and that was the situation that I, you know, felt fit my desires. And then you also know that because she's not highly, um, reactive and not right. intervention prone that if she's offering it, there is a reason. Like right. that's what exactly. I always tell people like we, we don't want to go in feeling like we're combating the care provider. Hopefully right. we're picking a team that you trust their input. Uh. And that way you're like, okay, if you're actually recommending this, let's really have a talk about it. Cause she's not, you know, C-section happy. She's not going to be like, Oh, right. you get one and you get one and you right. get exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And that was, that was the first question my doula asked me actually, is if I liked my care provider, that was like one of her preconditions of working with us. And I think that's such a smart question. Like, do you trust your, do you trust and like your difference. care provider? And I, like I said, I already had her and liked her just as a gynecologist, but I really having just, I did really trust her. And I feel like she's a, you know, an expert who shares my like basic uh, attitudes around this stuff. And that was great. That was a great, uh, fit for me. I like that your doula actually said that we're going to teeny tangent, but yeah. what I love about that is back when I was an active doula, sometimes I felt like I was called in because they didn't trust the person didn't trust their care provider. Yeah. And then there's this expectation, like the doula is going to wear the Superman cape and be like, I will fix it all. But it right. makes such a difference if the team is responsive and, and respectful and working together. Right. So I always recommend people as 
best you can early in your pregnancy, make sure you're aligned with your care provider because right. it becomes sticky. It becomes a really sticky situation. If you were at all questions like, do they, do I really need this? Or they just want to do it to get it done with like, you right. knew when she pulled that out, it's because it was necessary. Right. Exactly. And because, you know, she gave me that extra time to labor down. I just felt like she was really giving me the space and chance to do the most that I could do. And then at a certain point, the most that I could do wasn't actually enough for my situation. Yeah. So, and I mean, yeah. surrendering is a big, exactly. it's a big surrender. I mean, parenthood birth is it's a long. surrender. I know. I feel like there was, um, I don't know if it was in one of your classes or if it was on one of your podcasts, but someone was saying that that's their mantra. And I really liked that. And yeah. I've thought of that often after. It is. It's a matter of we have a certain idea and then we have to be flexible with it. I often say that it's, you don't need to be physically flexible to birth. You need to be mentally flexible. Yeah. I feel, thank God, because I can't touch my toes. Sorry. (laughs) And all the yoga doesn't help. It's like, it's permanent. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Never a prerequisite to do yoga. But I was also wondering, knowing that there was a possibility that baby was on the bigger side and knowing that, you know, somewhere down the road, there might've been in your mind or in your care provider's mind, it may end up with a cesarean birth. Did you have a chance to talk about a gentle cesarean and should it lead this way? How can you still be involved in the process? So I definitely talked about that with my doula and she knew my preferences and I listened to your past uh, podcasts about gentle cesareans and it was also covered extensively in my birth class. So I was very familiar with what it was. Um, but I will say in the moment I am, to be honest, I do not know if I requested it or not to, to be fully honest because I was so fatigued by that point. And also, um, but I know my doula and Parker knew my wishes on that. Um, Parker's my husband. Um, so, and, and then I did receive the sort of gentle cesarean, the basic, you know, the basic things that are the core components of a gentle cesarean were all offered to me in the OR. So I don't know if it was just hospital policy or if I requested it, but I did, um, try to experience the gentle cesarean. It was just, I will just say the thing about a C-section is uh, it is a major surgery, right? And like your body might react in ways that you can't anticipate. So I thought that I would want nothing more than skin to skin time the second my daughter came out. But in reality, I was in like on another plane. (laughs) And that's part of the Um, surrendering too. Like you have to go with what's happening in the moment. Like your body was like, hi, we're having an adverse reaction to medicine. I should not be holding a newborn. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it's it's a special time for her with her dad. Like, you know, we're going to have plenty of special times and we had plenty of skin to skin and, you know, her first week's life and continue to. So it's not, you know, do I wish I hadn't been like sweating and vomiting? Of course. Like <laughs> I think if most people at any yeah. point in their life can right. say, I wish I, I wasn't. Right. It's like not like a hot take or anything. Like, of course I wish I had been able to be there, but there are things, again, surrender. There are things that are out of your control. And I think a lot of birth uh, expectations and plans and hopes, it's that it's a huge transition that we're not fully in control of. And that's a really hard thing. So you, you make a plan, right? But, and that's great. I think it's so smart and great to think through your preferences so that you do feel like you've thought of it before you're in this tense situation of needing to make a decision right away. Right. But at the same time, 
there's only so much you get to, it needs to be fluid. there's only so much you get to control. There's, yeah. you know, the so, hospital did everything to give me a gentle cesarean and I couldn't take it. Right. Like they, they offered and I was not able to accept basically. So how's postpartum been? Um, well, I will say that we did have some pretty substantial difficulties with breastfeeding. Um, so one of my fears, I guess, came true, but I did not end up developing postpartum depression. So my other one did not come true. So I guess, um, I guess I had a 50 50 on my big fears, but we, we, uh, with the, again, support of my wonderful doula and lactate and various lactation consultants, we were able ultimately to get through that. And just in general, postpartum has been, gosh, again, surrender, right? It's been a real trip. It's crazy to have this little baby with me all the time now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, you've probably heard some coos and squawks during this. I'm home alone on maternity leave, and that's such a privilege, and I'm so grateful for it. And it's also, there are days when it's really hard. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think... Uh, Overall, postpartum has been has been um, has been a trip. The C-section recovery again. Once again, I reverted to it was probably textbook, um, but that that means that it was challenging for a few weeks um, for sure. It's major abdominal surgery. Yeah, exactly. I think, I'm so glad you said that because I think because it is. I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it's the most common surgery on the female body. Um, I believe that. Yeah. And because of how common it is, I think it's underestimated the recovery. I, I didn't have a C-section, but I did have hernia surgery. So like down my abdomen and I still have this huge scar. And I remember being shocked that I could barely lift my breast pump, like, (laughs) cause I was still breastfeeding. Like it is much harder. And I remember sneezing for the first time. I thought my abs were going (laughs) to split apart. We were at the playground and I was like, Oh my God. Again, I know you're supposed to hug a pillow, but we were outside and I'm like, Oh my God, my guts are going to rip out. They didn't. But like, well, I mean, just a little, a little peek into the two little peeks into the recovery. Cause I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture. I also don't want, people to be horrified. But I, um, the first night in the hospital, this wonderful lactation consultant came to, to talk to us about breastfeeding and she was, uh, being so, she really was lovely and very informative. I couldn't even focus on her face without covering one of my eyes. Like my two eyes couldn't, <laughs> couldn't focus on her. Um, to the point that the next day she reintroduced herself and I was like, no, I do actually remember you despite my erratic <laughs> behavior. Um, and then also, uh, a few, I, maybe a week after the surgery, I tried to go to Dwayne Reed, which is on my corner and I made it halfway there before like just stopping to cry a little bit. <laughs> so it was the first couple of weeks are no joke. They're really, really not fun, but it, then you start to get better every day. And now, you know, I'm, I kind of feel like myself again. I have my normal energy and I'm able to go around and not cry on the way to Dwayne Reed. So huge upgrade. We, we smile and be happy with what are all the achievements. I love That's that. right. You know, I can go to Dwayne Reed again. You yeah. Take what you can get. All right. We're going to take another break. When we come back, if you have one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents, we'll be right back. So you have a lot of experience through kind of 
taking the unexpected and working with it. So if you want to share anything from your pregnancy or birth or your time as a parent or anything you wish you had been told, I would Mm -hmm. love for you to share anything that you want to express out. I guess I have, I have three things, but they're all quick. Okay. So the the first, the first one is no matter what birth you plan to have, read about the other births. And this is something that you talked about a lot in class, Deb. And I think it's been mentioned on your podcast before, so I'm not going to harp on it, but if no matter what you're planning, learn about all the kinds of births. Um, I did that and I was really grateful to myself for doing that when I, I went away. I didn't expect, um, the, the other tip I would say for postpartum, so that's prepartum, I guess. Postpartum is say yes if someone offers help. If someone says like, hey, what if I take the baby for an hour and you go out to a coffee shop? Do that, you know, <laughs> recharge your batteries um, when you get the chance because there are going to be days when there's not the chance. So you should take take the help when you can get it. And then my final one is sort of a joke, but not really. Get a yoga ball. You're going to need it. <laughs> You don't know why yeah. yet, but you will need it. So oh my just... gosh. Yes, 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 yes. So they're, let's just talk about you. They're great for before what, yes. you know, if you're sitting they're... at a desk, you can sit mm-hmm. on that great during birth. But I have to tell you, I used my ball postpartum getting my kids to sleep. But then at the yoga yep. studio, I can't tell you how many times I teach sitting on a ball with one or two children on my legs and I'm teaching while bouncing. Um, oh my gosh. It's, I know, it's quite one time I fit wow. three to an like I know. What? Oh my gosh, I would love to see a picture of that. <laughs> I'm sure I have yeah. a picture. I'm sure there's a picture somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it was great in the lead up to the birth when I was like hoping to go into labor on my own. It was great to be doing like pelvic circles and stuff. But it's been really great to get my kid to sleep. So. It is the. It is like the like if you have a child that wakes up and you're doing a nighttime feeding. I found that yeah. was the best thing because yeah. I couldn't. I was too tired to stand. And right. so. But it also keeps you awake on like a rocker, so you're not not going to like end up oh, falling asleep in an unsafe situation or whatever. It's great. Oh Your my gosh. I love great. that. Out of my, <laughs> I think like six or seven years doing this podcast, asking that question, nobody has said that. So oh, oh, I'm glad to have one. Hannah, you you're know, so unique. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love that answer. Yes, 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 yes. All right. So you mentioned that you also have a podcast. I know it has nothing to do with birth, um, but with birth. it's a really fun podcast. Will you share what it is? Yeah. So I am the co-host of of a podcast called That Book. Uh, we read that book on your stepmom's nightstand. Um, so it's a, as you can tell by our sort of tagline, it's an irreverent podcast where we read forgotten books, maybe some of which maybe deserve to be forgotten, and also revisit uh, books that uh, you've heard of, but you don't really know what their deal is. Um, if you're looking, if you're interested to check it out, I would recommend, I think, maybe our Bonfire of the Vanities episode. That'll give you the flavor. If you like that you episode, did it, and I think I got into the Devil Wars Prada. I think that's oh, where yeah. I stepped in with the Meryl Streep Devil Wars oh, yes. Prada. And then you did yeah. like the follow-up books. Yes, we do. Which I kind of panned. Which, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And let me just say, I may be an English professor, but I am very ecumenical in my reading. I, I love, I love a romance novel. I love a, you know, lowbrow quote unquote book. I'm not sure I believe in such a thing as lowbrow. So, uh, it's definitely not coming from, it's coming from a place of love. Yeah. You're not trying to pretend like you're PBS and like doing like a whole, 
thing on that. Like it's, it's a good, like I enjoyed it. I felt like oh, when you, you and your, your podcast co-host just, it's like listening to two friends. And I have to say like, I listen to so much news and NPR that when I need just to like, when I garden and stuff, I yeah. want to just have something easy to listen to. That's enjoyable. Yeah. I listen to that. So oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> he is actually my oldest friend. That's our actual relationship. So, um, my oldest friend and I do this together. He's an actor. Michael Goldsmith. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been so enjoyable. I loved having you in class. I missed you when you left and I'm so glad that we got to reconnect. Thanks so much, Jeff, for having me and letting me tell my story such as it was, but yeah, surrender. That's the, that's the theme. <laughs> surrender. Thanks, Anna. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.